throwing. Open. Who else? Goddard. Touchdown. Analyze this. And into the end zone for a two-point conversion goes number one. Oh, it's a Friday edition of BFT Live, and that line from Al Michaels last night while he and Kirk Herbstreet were discussing analytics. A true laugh-out-loud moment. I rarely ever laugh out loud. I laughed out loud when Al Michaels said, analyze this. Maybe we'll make you laugh out loud once or twice today. That's one of the goals over the next two hours, to educate, inform, and entertain on all things NFL as we get ready for week nine of the 2022 regular season. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. He's Peter King. I'm Mike Florio. Peter, hello. Hello, Uncle Leo. What's going on this morning? I, I You know, I, I watched my first half inning of baseball last night since the Cubs won the World Series. I watched the bottom of the ninth in the Astros. How about game. that catch? That was quite a catch. Yeah. Mike, that was quite a catch. I was at the game last night in Philadelphia. And so I skimped on the Thursday night game and had to catch up on those extended YouTube highlights at the hotel afterwards. But what was so interesting about being at that game, I got to I got to I got to tell you this. I'm sitting along the first base side about halfway up, uh, you know, in the lower bowl. And there is a guy two rows ahead of us who's got his iPhone and he is streaming the Eagles game and holding it up for everybody in the section to watch. And so I'm thinking, the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, geez, can you just enjoy the moment? But then everybody's reacting to the Eagles game. So anyway, it's a classic case of, People in Philadelphia love their sports teams. So that's my uh, that's my Eagles report from the Phillies game last night. And it was a split last night between Houston and Philadelphia. Yeah. Only the seventh time, although I'm surprised it was seven times that we've had a World Series game played the same day as an NFL game involving the same two metropolitan areas. You would think it would be more rare than that because it's something that only has a chance of happening once per year anyway. It really is amazing that that's occurred, and here we are with the Eagles getting the win to go to 8-0, the Phillies losing in the final game in Philadelphia of the World Series, the final two, final one, second one if necessary, shifts back to Houston. I'm sure all those fans in Philadelphia would have preferred things to be flipped last night. If we're going to split, let's take the baseball game. We got plenty more football games to win, although they do maintain their quest 50 years after the Dolphins for 17-0 perfection. And, Peter, you look at that schedule. I know you take them one at a time and any given Sunday or Monday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or whenever they play the games now. But – the Eagles' table is set. They got eight in the bank, and they got nine coming up that they're going to be favored in all of them except perhaps maybe at Dallas Week 16. Well, Mike, here's what I thought when I looked at the schedule this morning, that it really depends on how much Nick Sirianni 
wants to go to be undefeated because clearly you get to the last two weeks of the season and if the Eagles have a two-game lead going into the last two weeks of the season, they have nothing to play for except maybe, maybe the top seed. I mean, and that assumes that the Minnesota Vikings would not lose again before the last two weeks, which I think is probably a faulty assumption. So you remember, Mike, you know, and I'm not saying that Nick Sirianni is from the Indianapolis Colts dungy polian tree where they never really thought that much of entering playoffs with momentum. And so you have to wonder now, you know, if you look at the last two weeks of the season, it could very well be that the New Orleans Saints could really need that to stay competitive in a bad NFC South. It could very well be that the New York Giants would need the Week 18 game to be a wildcard team or to stay in competition to be a wildcard team. So those are the things you start to think about, not just looking at it and saying, well, who are the toughest games? And obviously, Tennessee in Philadelphia, that'll be tough. And then the Saturday Christmas Eve game at Dallas late afternoon window is going to be a really tough game, obviously. And shades of 2007, Peter, with the Giants being the last potential piece of the puzzle. We saw what they did against the Patriots in a game the Giants didn't need, if I recall correctly, and there's a chance that I don't. Did not need. didn't need that. But they decided to go out and give it their all. And they built confidence in that game that allowed them to believe they could beat the Patriots if they met again, and they did, and we know what happened there. So off go the Eagles to 8-0 for the first time in franchise history. 7-0 happened in 2004, and obviously this year. 8-0 had never happened again, or previously, as the case may be, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Who knows? Maybe it'll happen again as soon as next year. Also, Jalen Hurts, back in his hometown of Houston, first time ever playing there as an NFL athlete wins the game it looked like it was going to not be as easy as the final score would indicate it wasn't as easy as the final score would indicate and the Texans came out and gave it their all they scored on the opening drive to go up seven nothing it was 14 14 into the third quarter it was a Davis Mills interception that really started to turn the tide toward the Philadelphia Eagles and even then once the Eagles went up The Texans didn't lay down. It was a couple of touchdown drives wrapped around a Texans field goal that that got it to the point where it felt like the Eagles were going to get done. Let's have a listen to the quarterback and the head coach from the Philadelphia team that won last night and got to 8-0 on the season. I know it's special for 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 the city of Philadelphia, you know, and I mean, I've, I've been 80-0 before and, and lost the national championship, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, just take it day by day, you know what I'm saying? Take it day by day. Uh, we we haven't accomplished anything yet, you know, and it's just a, it's a day-by-day thing of us controlling the things we can, playing to our standard and um, trying to grow every day. I think that's truly what it's about. It's just the next one. Um, you know, at, at this particular point, being 8-0 sweet, right? And, it, you know, 
it beats the alternative of being seven and one or six and two, right? And so um, we know that our our goal wasn't to go eight and zero. Our goal is to take one game at a time, and I'm at, that's that's our goal. And so um, is it good? Is it good to be able to have this long weekend instead of eight and zero? Of course, but we know that we're going to get back to work on Monday um, and go go attack th- this next game against Washington like we attacked this last game against Houston. One, one thing that really stood out to me, and I'm fascinated by Jalen Hurts, his entire makeup, his upbringing, how being a coach's son has helped make him the leader he is and how being the leader he is has trickled down to the rest of the team. And they have that mindset. All those cliches, which became cliches because they're true, he's the embodiment of it. He's the ultimate coach on the field. And they had a shot last night, Peter, of Jalen Hurts' mom and sister in the stands. Where's dad? Dad's a high school football coach. He's got a game tomorrow night. He's getting ready for that game. That's the mindset. That's the attitude. And that's how Hurts and the Eagles are able to just take it one step at a time, one day at a time, one game at a time. And here we are at 8-0. And, and you know, that they're not susceptible to trap games because of that mentality. There's some traps floating on that schedule. I saw at Indy, that's not going to be an easy one. But... They, they lock in, they focus, and they, they never look past an opponent, and they do what they have to do to win the game. And, and you know, they've done it eight straight times so far this year. Mike, um, you know, you talk about his dad. This is my lingering memory from my, I don't know, 12 to 15-minute conversation with Jalen Hurts um, uh, about a month ago after they played the Jacksonville Jaguars. What what really stood out to me after that game and talking to him was two things. You know, talking about the imprint that his father has left on him, okay? When we were talking about it and I asked him about the influence of his dad, he called him Coach Hurts. You know, who doesn't call their dad, dad? <laughs> Jalen Hurts, he calls him Coach Hurts. But the other thing that was really interesting about that conversation, you know, Nick Sirianni after that game had told me, okay, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. And again, I'm not trying to demean any opponent. I'm not trying to make any value judgment on anything. But, you know, earlier that week on Tuesday night, Nick Sirianni looks up. It's 9 o'clock on Tuesday. They're putting the finishing touch on the game plan. And who is in the building watching tape? At 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night, the player's off day, it's Jalen Hurts. And look, the one thing you will never hear about Jalen Hurts from the people at Alabama after he, have to, after he ended up leaving to go to Oklahoma because he had gotten beaten out for the job, uh, the one thing you'll never hear is slacker. You know, he's, he's, he doesn't know how to do that. He doesn't know how to, you know, dial it back. And so I think that really showed last night, especially they did have some adversity in that game, being tied early in the third quarter. And he did get strip sacked in that game. And so, but I don't think there's anything about his approach, even playing the worst team in the league. I don't think there's anything at all that you say, well, okay, uh, we could have worked harder during the week. It just That just isn't the case. And I bet he will look at that play, Mike, 15 times if he hasn't already looked at it on the plane 
or if he didn't already look back, look at it on the plane on the way back. I can't fumble when I get sacked. You know, I got to be more careful with the ball. And so to me, Mike, a week ago, I ranked, I, I gave my midseason awards and I put Jalen Hurts number two on my MVP ballot, you know, if indeed there is such a thing after eight weeks of a season. But the reason I did that is because of, and I mean, it's amazing to me that I would put anybody ahead of Patrick Mahomes and I put Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts ahead of him. And of course, we could argue that till the cows come home. I wouldn't convince you, you wouldn't convince me. But I just think you look at Jalen Hurts, he is in the middle of everything good that that team has done this season. And, you know, when you're the quarterback of an 8-0 team and you're playing at a very high level, I think you deserve to be considered for the MVP, and he will be considered for the MVP if they keep it up. There's a never-ending debate among those of us who do this for a living as to whether or not quarterback wins are a stat. They're not a real stat, but... A great quarterback, a great leader can influence a team to win, to play better than it's capable of, to perform, to study, to work, and to have the right mindset. And I spoke to Hertz after the win over Pittsburgh just five days ago, 35 to 13. And he said, I usually don't talk about myself like this, but I'm sensing the transition where the rest of the team, and I'm paraphrasing and summarizing, but the rest of the team has my mindset. That's what leadership does. Coach Hertz taught that to Jalen Hertz, who's becoming Coach Hertz for the rest of his teammates, and that's what great quarterbacks do. That's that intangible that helps a quarterback cause his team to win, even if it isn't fair to put wins and losses on every quarterback. A great quarterback who's a great leader can elevate we don't know what he said on the sidelines or in the locker room, but something snapped them out of their funk last night. They were in a funk. They were sleepwalking. They easily could have lost that game, and something caused them to rise up and move past it. Short week. Everybody's tired. Had to fly to Houston, right? You know, the, you know it's not really our night. And they, they, they found a way to elevate. And when you, when you have a guy who's got that mindset that has come from Growing up in the household of a head coach, calling him Coach Hurts, as you said, that's the kind of thing that can make a difference on a night where it would be very easy to say, ah, you know what, we'll be fine if we're 7-1. and one. Mike, I, I want to I take this on a little bit of a 90-degree angle, but the one thing I really thought of about this game last night is I really thought of how valuable a person in the franchise is Howie Roseman has been, the general manager of the Eagles. Now, I'll I'll give you a little roundabout answer, but Howie Roseman, basically, if you look at what happened when this game was 14-14, okay, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who Howie Roseman traded a 5 and a 6 for, got his fifth interception of the game off Davis Mills, to stop a Houston drive that would have been, at that time, the go-ahead drive in the game. So, C.J. Gardner-Johnson intercepts the ball. And Jalen Hurts, who Howie Roseman drafted 53rd overall against 
what many people, media, uh, people close to the team, other officials around the league and other, you know, snide talkers who said, oh, what are they doing? They got Carson Wentz. Why are they taking a quarterback in the second round? To which Howie Roseman said, we need a better backup quarterback situation. We're not drafting this guy to replace Carson Wentz. But Carson Wentz has hurt a lot. We got to get a better backup quarterback situation. And look, look what's happened now. And that is not because the circumstances changed to what Howie Roseman thought would happen. But it ha- part, of it, part of it was the fact that they had, in my opinion, a childish quarterback in Carson Wentz who looked at that as a challenge to his hold on the starting job. It wasn't, but he turned it into that, and he made a big deal of it. And so look what's happened now. You know, Jalen Hurts might be the MVP that five years ago, Carson Wentz very well might have been if he doesn't get hurt in 2017. But anyway, the last thing I'll say is that, so what happens after C.J. Gardner-Johnson gets that interception? And then the next thing you see is that, uh, you know, that Jalen Hurts throws a touchdown pass to, and you see here, a bad throw, obviously, by Davis Mills. But then you see uh, Jalen Hurts uh, throw a touchdown pass, obviously, to A.J. Brown. It was a great throw, a great play design by Nick Sirianni to an all-alone Uh, A.J. Brown in the end zone. And A.J. Brown, obviously, on day one of the draft, Howie Roseman traded for him with Tennessee and signed him to a contract like maybe about 20 minutes before their pick was scheduled to be made in the first round. So anyway, I'm only, I, I know this is a roundabout way and it doesn't really have a lot to do with the game last night, but in many ways, it does have a lot to do with it. Because Howie Roseman basically made that play happen with his acquisition of C.J. Gardner-Johnson and his quarterback, who he picked to be a backup, but look what happened, and throwing a touchdown pass to the wide receiver, still only 25 years old, by the way, A.J. Brown, and signed for the long term in Philadelphia. This general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, Mike, has done a heck of a job. Sims and I spent a lot of time this week, Peter, talking about the draft and develop habits of the Green Bay Packers in reacting to the fact that they didn't make a trade for a receiver or for yeah. anybody at the deadline. And it's been 30 years from Juan Wolf to Ted Thompson to now Brian Gutekunst to draft and develop, draft and develop, draft and develop. You can't build an elite team in today's NFL by focusing only on one tool for acquiring talent. You can't be so obsessed with those late round draft picks that you're not willing to go out and get a guy who can help you sooner rather than later, who you don't have to develop, who isn't that lottery ticket that you scratch off and hope it's a winner and you find out there are just as many losers as there are winners. That's the Jimmy Johnson mindset you and I discussed last week because they also have Javon Hargrave, a guy they didn't draft and develop who had three sacks last night and has, has had uh Five in the last five days because he had two against the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was incredibly disruptive in the middle last night for the Philadelphia Eagles as they were trying to put the clamps on the Texans. I mean, the Texans could run the ball. Damian Pierce had 139 rushing yards. But sometimes you got to be able to throw the ball. And if Davis Mills 
is trying to carry around Javon Hargrave on his back, it's kind of hard to throw the ball. Hey, look, the Javon Hargrave, you know, pick up by the Eagles. At the time, I remember saying, do they really need Javon Hargrave? But how many teams have multiple really big bodies like Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox who play interior? A, a, A lot of times they play on the interior and they're really threatening pass rushers. So, look, it's about building depth on your team. And, look, if you ask Howie Roseman this, he'll say it is they're basically acting on the gospel of Andy Reid. Number one, number two, number three, number four. Take care of both lines. And look at what the Philadelphia Eagles have right now. They have a top five offensive line in the NFL. They have a top five defensive line in the NFL. And that is by design. And so that's one of the things that you say, you look at this team and nothing is forever, but this team is very well set, not only for this year, but the future also. And Harry Roseman is feeling pretty good about where he is. There's a clip that's gone viral on social media. Apparently there was a fan in the stands that had a sign that said, Howie, you're forgiven for the AJ Brown trade. And It requires some very mild lip-reading skills, but how he lets the person have it with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face, but he lets him have it in classic Philadelphia fashion with multiple F-bombs. So uh, reminding the fan of the fact that they do have a Super Bowl trophy from five years ago. And that's the thing that just astounds me about the way Eagles fans reacted to finally winning a Super Bowl. They got worse not better. And I mean worse in the best possible way that I can, although I but they they want it more. They want it so much more fervently and zealously than they did before they won one in the first place and you've almost completely rebuilt the team since 2017 and here they are with a team that is better than the team that we saw win the Super Bowl 5 years ago. Hey, look, Mike I mean, and you know this story very well. I know this story. You don't have to be a Philadelphia media person to know this story. But basically, when Chip Kelly ran this organization, Howie Roseman was banished. You know, he was, I, I, I mean, he wasn't fired or anything like that, but it's just his opinion was not valued highly in the organization at the time. And he, he talks very openly, uh, or he did talk at one time. I don't know if he would, you know, dwell on it now. But he talked very openly post-Chip Kelly. Nothing, you know, he's not been publicly, you know, castigating Chip Kelly. But he talked about how he got to be a better general manager in that period of time. Remember the story about him meeting with some of the Premier League uh, guys who were the architects of the really great teams. I think it was Manchester United, maybe. You know, he had a session with, um, you know, with, with the, whoever the manager or wh- whatever they call him in the Premier League. And I think he used that time. He didn't use that time to sulk in another part of the building where he really day-to-day wasn't responsible for 
you know, the operation or the roster or anything like that. But what he did do was he used that time to better himself as a general manager. And whatever lessons he learned at the time, those lessons really have come home to roost to help the Philadelphia Eagles. And he physically was removed from the football operation. He was in a different office. Yeah. He was away from everything that Chip Kelly was doing. And once that crashed and burned, he reemerged, put together a Super Bowl team. They won it with Doug Peterson. And now with Nick Sirianni, they, they are one of the best two teams in the NFL. The Bills would probably beat them if they played on a neutral site right now. But who knows? The Eagles, though, probably, are but you never know. Un- and the Eagles are carrying around that unblemished record of 8 0. I think that counts a lot for some. In my opinion, that's enough to put the Eagles at one. I think you had the Bills at one because the Bills right now, because I, the, the problem with the Bills is that I don't think they get locked in for lesser opponents the way the Eagles do. The Bills would be locked in for the Eagles, and you would see the absolute best that the Bills had to bring if there's well, a hypothetical matchup you know, Mike, or, or an actual matchup that's looming in February. I don't, I don't, you know, at this time of year, who cares? You know, really, honestly. But the only reason I put the Bills number one in the Eagles, too, is because the Bills finally kind of slayed the dragon at the home of the dragon, you know, at Arrowhead Stadium. And and they slayed them by making big plays down the stretch of the game. They didn't back into that win, you know. Josh Allen made his best throw of the season to win that game, you know, throwing it right over a safety and right into the hands of a well-covered Dawson Knox. And so that's why I put them number one. And, and Philadelphia just simply has not had a win like that at the home of a great team. And look, Philadelphia's had some very good wins. They, they handled Dallas and handled Dallas, you know, when they played. But look, this all, none of it matters on February, whatever, 12th, uh, because we'll, everything will have shaken out by then. But I think those two teams right now are clearly one and two in the NFL. Hey, other than the Bills, there's only one other one-loss team in the NFL, and that's the Vikings. And the Eagles made the Vikings look like a member of the CFL on that Monday night when they got yeah. together back in week two. So uh, the, the Eagles have gotten it done. Now let's flip it around to the Texans for a little bit. Astros slash Houston slash Texans fans have reason to be happy today as the World Series shifts back to their city, but they have a crap team playing in the local football stadium, and they're 1-6-1 and right now. Look, they found something in Damian Pierce. I mentioned 139 rushing yards last night for him, a career high, and, and he runs with power, he runs with speed, he runs with determination, and he's still playing hard even though the team is not good. But they got to do something at quarterback, obviously. They decided to give Davis Mills a season to see what he could do. The same kind of vibe last year with Jalen Hurts. Let's give him a season and see what he can do. Sometimes you only find out when you see what the guy can do. And Davis Mills isn't getting it done. The team's not winning, and they're going to be in position, Peter, to have a pretty significant spot in the draft. And they didn't have to try to tank to get there. It's just kind of nature taking its course. But that's where the hope is for the Texans. Yeah, they've got some players 
who will flash from time to time, but they are one of the teams jockeying for position at the top of the draft. And, you know, the, as long as you don't admit that you're tanking, you're just kind of, and, and it's not like, it's not, you're not tanking if you're trying your best with what you have to win and you just keep losing and losing and losing and losing. Um, and they weren't embarrassed last night and they really haven't been, you know, a laughing stock. They're just losing games. And if this continues, they'll be in a position where they can get a Josh Allen, a Jalen Hurts, a Patrick Mahomes, or another Deshaun Watson. In a good you know, way. Mike, there's a bunch of little tributaries about that thought. But the first one I would say is that, look, not only is Houston destined for a top three pick in this draft and maybe a top one pick in this draft, but they also have Cleveland's pick uh, in the 2023 NFL first round. So what that means is, let's say for the sake of argument, that another team has the first pick in the draft and there is a golden boy quarterback. Uh, and look, I don't know which one of these quarterbacks is going to shake out as the number one guy, but you know, it very well could be that Houston not only will be have a high pick, but then will have a second top 10 pick depending on what happens to the Cleveland Browns. And look, I, I don't know where the Browns are going to end up. I doubt they're going to make the playoffs. We'll see. We'll see what they're playing for when Deshaun Watson comes back to begin playing in games a month from now. But there's one other little factor that's kind of interesting at the top of the draft. And not only, you know, are, are they going to be in good position, but what about the Detroit Lions? Do the Detroit Lions strongly consider a quarterback high in this draft, and keep this in mind. The Lions have the last tentacle of the Jared Goff trade, Jared Goff-Matthew Stafford trade. They have the Rams won in the 23 draft. So I would ask you, Mike, right now, who's going to have a higher draft choice or a higher draft position, the Browns or the Rams? We can all sit here and say, ah, well, the Browns for sure. And I think it's probably true, but I don't think that's a lock right now. So no, they both all, they of almost these have the same teams, record right now. Yeah. And both of these teams right now, you know, Houston and Detroit, you have to consider along with a lot of other teams like Carolina, you know, but there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be in uh, competition to take quarterbacks high in this draft. Because I think Detroit probably is going to look at this draft and they're going to say, hey, listen, you know, we know we paid a lot for golf. He's had some moments, but this could be our last chance to be in the top three or whatever it is, you know, in a draft, in a year when the quarterback crop is pretty good. Just because we're not positive that Goff, whether Goff is the guy of the future or not, should we not pick one? So I think that is going to be, we know Houston, I mean, unless something really weird happens, is very likely to pick one. We know Carolina is very likely to pick one. And if Detroit continues to stumble the way it has, I won't be surprised if Detroit makes up that three teams in the top five of the draft that are really battling and jockeying for position to take the quarterback.
And then you could possibly have the Jaguars sink into that top spot. They have Trevor Lawrence. It's too early to say he's not the guy. They could get a King's ransom and then some if you can set up an auction among the Lions, the Texans, the Panthers, who's going to trade up to this spot that we hold. Some fascinating wrinkles that the Texans are going to be right in the middle of if they can manage to keep doing what they've been doing through the first two months of the season. (laughs) Peter, there was an interesting moment last night that you probably didn't see live since you were at the baseball game, and it's a rule that the officials never see when it's happening. When they do, they don't throw the flag. Now, through 2005, it was a foul to both push a runner and pull a runner. Assisting the runner meant no pushing, no pulling. As of 2006, the pushing was removed the pulling stayed in the rule book as a violation. And it never gets called. The Football Zebras account on Twitter pointed out last night, assisting the runner hasn't been called in 30 years. But, and I was told this last night, I didn't realize Terry McCauley said it during the broadcast until I was watching it later. It happened last night, the same week that the league sent out a video to all the teams with an assisting the runner moment in there where they explain the rule and they tell all the team to tell you guys not to do it and they did it jason kelsey did it with kenneth gainwell pulled him two or three yards toward the goal line that should have been a foul there were roughly eight texans players who reacted pointing at jason kelsey for pulling the runner it was a point of emphasis this week it happens right in front of two officials. You see one there at the goal line. You see another one. at the, There they are. They're looking right at it. Maybe Jerry Jones' Halloween costume was right on the money. They're looking right at it. <laughs> and there's no flag. Yeah, this is one of those things. I think that the pushing the runner thing is ridiculous, too. I mean, it's, it's, that's, not, that's not football. It's, it's not. I mean, that's rugby. I don't understand why that's allowed anyway. But everybody just said, well, hey, that's football. Why is that football anyway? Why is that allowed? Why are you allowed to get behind your quarterback as we see every week in the NFL? Every week we see it, mostly with quarterbacks, but sometimes with running backs along the goal line. And somebody gets behind them, slams into their back, and pushes them into the end zone. It's just, that's not, I, I just think it's an awful rule. And last night, you know, just basically put an exclamation point on the fact that if you're going to have a rule in the book, call it. And if I were the NFL, I would say, we're this pushing stuff that you see over and over, you see it 20 times every week, that, that has got to go too. I keep waiting for somebody to have a quarterback sneak where they put three guys directly behind the quarterback, right, I mean, right behind him. Take full advantage of physics. Quarterback gets the ball, and you got three guys. It becomes tug of war, although there's no tugging. It's pushing, push of war, and just – now, it, you may not have a healthy quarterback when it's all said and done. That's the downside. But, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's been something that is not a violation – for 16 years and it's just amazing that we don't see it more often than we do we see it a lot we don't see it more than than i think that or as much as we could Mike, here's but the pulling the pulling is a violation a clear textbook violation the same week they send out the damn video and they miss it happening right in front of them here's a question mike 
I want you to tell me what happens, okay? What happens in in an NFL game if the New Orleans Saints uh, score a touchdown to go down 28 to 27 with two seconds left in a game, okay? And they decide to go for the win and go for two. And they have Taysom Hill take a snap from under center at the two-yard line. And they put their sixth and seventh offensive linemen as running backs in the huddle. As soon as the ball is snapped, the two reserve offensive linemen who weigh 310 and 335 pounds respectively get at Taysom Hill's back. He's already a 240-pound guy or 230-pound guy. And they just push him into the end zone for a two-point conversion and a win. I mean, I, I'm that is a bastardization of the rules. But the league is allowing that to happen. That's going to happen someday. All you need is a smart coach. And look, I'm not saying that Taysom Hill's a guinea pig. I'm not. He is a physical player who is not the starting quarterback of the team. Would you risk a dislocated shoulder or, or some sort of, you know, a couple of black and blue marks on Taysom Hill to win a football game, to stay in the pennant race in the incredibly weak NFC South. I think if you're Dennis Allen, why wouldn't you consider that? Hey, Peter, since we're having fun with this, let's take it next level. Instead of using Taysom Hill, how about a defensive lineman that you can trust to take the snap? Make him the quarterback in that play. That, yeah. Then the numbers Why go not? even higher in your favor, and the chances of that guy getting smushed by the two guys pushing him in reduce dramatically. I, there's a lot of fun you could have with this rule, and that's what amazes me that we don't see more of it. Now, if somebody did, they'd probably put pushing back in the rule. They would close the loophole right then. And then they'd never yeah. call it, but it wouldn't get to the extreme that we've seen. One last thing that's gone to the extreme in Houston this week, Brandon Cook's not happy that he wasn't traded, didn't practice Tuesday, didn't practice Wednesday. It was Coach's decision that Brandon Cook's didn't play last night. Lovey Smith, the head coach, said after the game that Cook's will be back with the team on Monday. And, Peter, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes here, but I have a feeling it went something like this. Hey, Brandon, we're not going to do the Deshaun Watson thing with you. You're not going to get to not play and get paid for it for the rest of the year, and then we'll trade you after the season. He jeopardizes his $18 million fully guaranteed contract if he deliberately and without permission from the team refuses to practice or play. That $18 million full guarantee that kept him from getting traded, that's the reason he didn't get traded. Yeah. Nobody wanted to take on that salary. They couldn't work out a deal where the Texans would pay some, Cooks would waive some of it, whatever the case may be. If he fails to practice or play without advanced permission of the team to not practice or play, that guarantee is gone. It's just gone. And uh, he's got until Monday to figure it out and re-embrace the team. Mike, I thought of this last night when I heard that Brandon Cooks was deactivated and evidently uh, had a little snit fit at not being traded. I thought of this. Number one, you... Brandon Cooks are partially responsible for this because you make $18.5 million. So, you know, I realize you want to get traded and want to go somewhere else where 
it isn't just punching a clock, reporting for work, and it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. I get that. But sometimes if you choose to take huge money on a team and they choose to pay you that, you've got to take the consequences for that. That's number one. Number two, I blame in part, I blame either Nick Casario or Cal McNair, who the general manager or owner of the Texans for this reason. You know that when trades are discussed, that let's just pick a team, Green Bay, Dallas, whoever. There were teams that wanted Brandon Cooks, no question about it. But those teams that wanted Brandon Cooks didn't want to pay $18.5 million. So it's common knowledge in the NFL that if the, te- the more money the Texans take, the more money the Texans choose to pay of the contract, the better the draft choice is that they'll get. And I bet they could have gotten a three for Brandon Cooks if they took on the majority of his contract next year. The only thing that I'm saying is that wouldn't your team be better off next year with an extra pick that was around 90 overall? Even though you'd have to pay, let's just say, 12 million bucks of Brandon Cooks' contract, let's just say, okay, you would have a resource to be able to replenish, you know, that that lost uh, cap money and that lost money. And so to me, I think it was a short-sighted non-trade by the Houston Texans. And we are now sensitive to this whole concept of, as a practical matter, buying and selling draft picks from what the Texans did with Brock Osweiler in 2017, sending $16 million in fully guaranteed money to the Browns and packaging it with their own second-round pick to get that money off the books at a time when they desperately needed the cap space. And that's part of the, and I think Peter, it's one of the realities of the trade deadline. Everybody waits until the last minute. Nobody wants to make the move prematurely because then you end up possibly getting taken advantage of by the other team, but you have to figure out how much the new team's going to pay, how much the Texans are going to pay, how much cooks is going to sacrifice. If any of the 18 million fully guaranteed he's due to make next year. And, and it was too much. It was too many different things that had to happen to get it done. So they could still trade him in the offseason. They could still work out this deal when they don't have that clock ticking toward 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, November 1. And I have a feeling that after the season, something will be worked out and Cooks will be gone from the Texans. And he'll be either back with the Rams or with some other team that won't be paying him $18 million for 2023. Let's go ahead and take a break. On Sunday, one of the biggest games of the day involves two teams who are currently below 500. Both teams were expected to be well above 500 at this point. Bucks-Rams preview when PFT Live presented by Google Pixel continues right after this. 